For as long as I've known the NBA, it's been a stars league. But even among the stars, there's an exclusive club. Russell, Dr. J, Jordan, Kobe. They're all part of a select group that paved the way for the NBA superstar of today. And some even shared secrets with each other along the way. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Jackie McMullen, and this is the Icons Club. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is stressful enough just with the airport situation. No matter where you're going, it's always packed. You're always worried the weather might be bad. Is my plane going to get delayed? You just want the actual place you're staying at to be a lights out experience. So if you've booked a vacation rental and you found yourself stuck making small talk with the host, or you've arrived to find out it doesn't look anything like the pictures, you know, that's, that's the worst. You could avoid the awkwardness with Verbo. Verbo has helped travelers find great private vacation rentals for nearly 30 years. You heard me correctly. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your private vacation rental in the Verbo app. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. Launched a couple podcasts last week in case you missed it. The Town, our new Hollywood industry pod hosted by Matt Bellany. He is doing it two to three times a week. Really good week one. Talked about Amazon and MGM and the Bond franchise feature of that. Talked about Netflix's password crackdown. Talked about the Batman ticket upcharge. This is a good pod. If you like Hollywood, you'll like this podcast. And you will like the big picture as well because it's Oscar season. And Sean Fantasy is diving into it over there. So we have that. We also launched Icons Club, our new narrative series by Jackie McMullen about the evolution of the NBA superstar. We put up the prologue and we put up the first episode, which was about Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain, their relationship and how they became kind of the OGs of everything that would follow over the next 60 years. You can check that podcast out. It's on the Book of Basketball feed. Remember the Book of Basketball 2.0? Yeah, it's on that feed. Maybe it'll inspire me to start doing more Book of Basketball podcasts. So we have that. One other feat to tell you about, the Ringer F1 show, Kevin Clark resuscitated it. He broke down Drive to Survive the, through the uh, 10 episodes on Netflix. We did that in three parts, previewed the F1 season, and then he's going to have a reaction pod to the first race, which was Sunday night, Ferrari kicking ass. No surprise to anyone who's admired Ferrari from afar all these, all these years. Russell and I might talk about that a little bit later. We're going to talk about college basketball and the lottery which players would be the best fit for which teams. And then uh, Russell and I are going to do our NBA thing. This is another classic. I don't know what to tell you. It's, it's, we just keep banging out home runs. Hopefully like Trevor Story will be doing for the Red Sox for six years, 140 million. A shortstop who are moving to second base, even though he's a better defensive shortstop than the guy we have at shortstop. And the Patriots haven't signed anybody. I am a, 
I'm kind of a mess from all the signings and weird signings. Pats, Red Sox, Bruins made a big trade. Celtics coming on, hopefully. We'll see. Yeah. Talk about that with my dad maybe this week. Today we're talking basketball. First, Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this a little bit later on Sunday night. Ryan Masillo is here. What a sports weekend. A lot of stuff going on. Feels like uh, an inordinate amount of stuff with the football and the baseball signings and then NBA and then NHL trades and then March Madness and F1 started. And I, I just, my head's spinning. My wife and daughter were away this weekend. I just watched sports for three straight days. It was great. Yeah, look, you're trying to keep it all together. Those first two days, I mean, it's 12-hour days where you go, I'm watching every one of these games and I've got all the TVs going. I mean, I just, I wish people could understand how hilarious it used to be back in the day of us just collectively getting so mad the next day, whether you were in school or if you were at work, being like, and then they cut out of the Richmond game to go <laughs> to Indiana. And it's like, there would just be these stretches where the programming people couldn't get a break. And they would right. just be cutting out of the wrong possible game to get. The, it would just be hilarious. And and now, obviously, that's that's not an issue. So it's awesome. I, I was actually trying to figure out today whether it's been 40 years for me with the tournament where I actually remember watching it. I don't remember the Ainge layup. I feel like I saw that live. But I remember somewhere between 82, 83, 84 range hustling home on that Thursday because there were games. And then I remember in the mid eighties, the late games, they would have the late, late games that were, uh, you know, the Thursday, Friday that were just, you know, they would end at like one thirty in the morning, East coast time. Um, but if it, it's four straight decades of this, they've spread the games out. They've at least figured out how to stagger them. So we don't have the, the cutaway problems as much, but I was feeling it on Saturday and Sunday, just having the one game, you know, start basically chewing up half of the afternoon. If that game sucks, then, and it didn't, the Baylor game was incredible, but if that game had sucked, it's like, all right, that's half of our Saturday with only one good game, you know, one game and it, and it was a, a loser, but that one wasn't. NBA refs stock up. <laughs> I feel like this happens every year though. People watch the college and they lose <laughs> their minds. How bad the college. Yeah. It's weird. They love, uh, they love calling, you know, reviewing the charges. They love penalizing people for holding onto the rim and stuff like that. I, it, it did make me feel better about the NBA refs. The it does. Bail, it, it the Baylor game was the game of the, uh, of the first four days, though, because the kid fouls out on Carolina, who looked like he was at Almost Famous, who was having an awesome game, looked like he was heading for 40. Yeah. yeah. He's out. Baylor hits a couple shots. You're like, oh, is this going to be one of those things where we remember what happened when this kid got kicked out? And it goes through. Um, incredible comeback. Gets to OT and you're just like, oh, there's no way North Carolina can hold on now. That was one of the biggest collapses I've seen in a game. And then somehow they win an OT. So I was at the gym that morning because I was like, hey, I got to figure out some window to get out of the house. And mm. when they went up, I go, okay, I'm good. And Mannix out with 10 minutes. I thought that the elbow was intentional because he was trying to get pissed back at Sohan, who pisses everybody off the whole time. Yeah. And I know you and I both like Sohan a lot from Baylor. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, 
I love that kid. Oh and my I, God. So I know we'll probably do a little bit more of it later. So I was kind of doing a back and forth thing being like, I can't believe I left the house. And now this game is turning into one of the all time collapses. I mean, it's 25, it's a 25 point game with like 10 minutes left. It was 67 42. That's right. Nailed it. So I watched it again just from that moment on. And I wanted to keep track because all Twitter was was talking about the officials. And I'm like, this is so bad on social media. Like, I wonder what it's going to be. So I want to track everything. North Carolina sucked for 10 minutes, too. All right. There are some calls that didn't go their way. They couldn't get the ball in. They didn't. It was like they'd never seen pressure before. And Baylor also plays with an intensity with all these big, huge guys flying around when they're playing desperate. That's not a great time. But North Carolina did far more themselves than the officials did. I, mean, I totally agree. I thought the coaching was bad. They were calling timeouts to set up inbounds plays that then were just the guy being trapped in the corner again. <laughs> it was it was really <laughs> weird. It, and then, you know, they kept showing Roy Williams in the stands. I kept thinking he was going to come out of the stands like Shooter and Hoosiers. But um, <laughs> it was the makings of like, one, honestly, one of the worst basketball collapses I've ever seen in my life. I was trying. I was trying to think, like, because I was taking notes the whole weekend, and I and if they had lost that, I was trying to figure out what was the biggest collapse I've ever seen in a basketball game. And I, you know, immediately Clippers Houston is the biggest like huge score collapse that I can remember. And then Spurs Miami Game Six 2013, Blazers Lakers 2000. But most of them were like NBA, and I couldn't really remember like what were the great college collapses where you could just see the entire team choking at the same time. I felt like Duke had a run there where the other team would always just, you'd be like, okay, this team just isn't going to hang on. Because that's what I, I, look, I love the tournament. It's arguably my favorite sporting event. And instead of being mad about the refs, because it's bad and and all the different stuff, I'm just kind of like, this is awesome. Like you're just flying around the dial for 12 hours and you're learning about guys as you get ready for the draft, if you're excited about that part of it. But I always felt like one of the things that would drive me crazy about it is the team. And it doesn't feel like it happens as much now because maybe there's just an awareness of it. But I feel like when you and I were growing up, there was always a team that was up, but that wasn't supposed to be up. And they just they stopped playing basketball. They couldn't wait for the game to be over. And then right. They would, they'd have a 35 minute right, game. Right. Couldn't quite get there. Yeah. It. Uh, I didn't bet on Thursday because every Thursday I lose. I would try to print <laughs> and I just I'm. Culling my memory of like, oh, I watched that team on mid-February on ESPN2 at midnight. So I stayed away. And then Friday, I'm like, nah, I'm going to sprinkle some stuff around. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to tie everything to the Raptors money line against the Lakers. Because I know the Raptors are going to beat the Lakers on Friday night. That's definitely happening. So I tied the Raptors money line to like five games. I'm like, I'm going to try to go four and one with these five. And then the Raptors lost to the Lakers. And they were up three with the ball with nine seconds left. They somehow can't inbound it. Russ comes out of his coma for the year, steals a ball, and then hits a three to send it into OT. And then uh, and then that was it. Or they won it. Whatever, whatever the hell happened. And my head was spinning. But yeah, big steal. Westbrook three. And that was it. Why are you looking at me confused? No, because when you asked me about the collapses, I was trying to remember how many Memphis was up on Kansas when Kansas came back and won in overtime. Um, but oh, that was a good one. Yeah. The 2008. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. That's a um, nice one. Yeah. I'm trying to, trying to look it up. Yep, you're right. By the way, cause we were watching, I think we were texting during the Raptors game. So we were just sitting around and, you know, Russ almost cracked the backboard on that one from the left side. 
And then he he made us kind of a, you know, it was a sort of scramble play. I, I was shocked he even got his foot behind the line and he hits the three and you're like, oh, all right. I mean, Scotty Barnes got in the Hall of Fame with that game too as well. It's just, it's kind of funny listening to Lakers though talk about like they're trying to make it more complicated because it sounds better if they yeah. can make it complicated for why there's these struggles. And, you know, Westbrook hit the shot and, and good for him. He was like, look, my misses 20,000 points. My misses, they don't matter. I'm like, no, we're aware your misses do not impact you. We, we're, we're, we have plenty it's, of evidence this year that you do not care. It's um, amazing how defiant he is when something good happens. It's He has this aura about him like, see, told you. This has been sitting here the whole time. You guys just don't <laughs> haven't asked for it. <laughs> it would be like if you had the worst person ever on first take who just over and over again had the worst takes in the world and then one time had a good take and people are like, ah, oh, yeah, good point. And he's like, yeah, told you. Got more. Take fountain over here. <laughs> I got it's- this in my bag. I got this in my bag. But if they just said, hey, we don't try. We don't like the trying part. Like that would just be more it'd be more accurate and it'd be better. No one's ever going to say it. it's hilarious, but they're always like, well, you know, we, we felt good about this and we did some things defensive. Somebody should just be like, we don't really love trying. If right. you haven't noticed, we just don't, we go long stretches. We're like, I don't want to do this tonight. And that's well, who we are. It's a weird situation. Cause them not having their pick, they can't tank. They can't shut it down because LeBron is now, you know, he's thinking about all these scoring records. LeBron is getting an amazing amount of media coverage too for a team that's 10 games under 500 and is completely irrelevant and cannot do anything. But they're just in this, like I was driving, I had to drive Ben somewhere yesterday and I was listening to Lakers Wizards. And the announcers, the Wizards came back and Porzingis was doing stuff. And the announcers, I I know the local announcers have to like root for their team and do the whole thing, but they seem stunned that the Wizards were coming back. And like, oh my God, Porzingis. And it's like, haven't you, you guys have to watch all these games. The, the Lakers can't defend anybody, anything, but it's, man, I, people are saying it's the, they think it's the worst Lakers season ever. Like people who watch the team, I'm like, there's no way this is even one of the four worst Lakers seasons. Everyone forgets the two Byron Scott years when he was just like a statue on the side as they went 17 and 65. There's no way this was worse than that. Well, it's worse in the sense that you had expectations though. You know, that those Byron Scott teams, I don't know that anybody was going, hey, this team. But is, at least this really team, good. you get to watch LeBron and some, you know, he'll have 56 points. And like, w- what was fun about the two Byron Scott? Years? We're saying this. We're saying the same thing. We're saying yeah. the same thing. Like, and by the way, I guess uh, Surudi sent us a note on this. So yeah, Kansas was down nine with two minutes to go mm. in that game. By the way, uh, pro Westbrook take though. I don't know what's going on with you kids. You kids out there just filming Westbrook saying, I fuck with you. And you just need to do better. And then he walks away from Westbrook and he starts calling him goofy. And he, and, he, and he videotapes the whole thing. And he thinks it's hilarious. I thought Coach O, when he's being filmed in a bar, some bar somewhere, I thought he was going to rip limbs out of torsos with a look on his face. And like you go and have your buddy stand behind Coach O with a big L on his forehead to like get it in the background. And then Coach O busts you for it. I don't know. I don't know. Like to me, Coach O's like the last guy you want to do that with. So that was two samples, two samples this week in social media that I just want to point out. So your thumbs down on uh, just being dicks with camera phones? Yeah. I mean, think about it. I am Westbrook. The Westbrook part, like people were like, oh, Westbrook needs to chill. Fuck that. 
Like that guy, especially if somebody's standing there holding it in front of them to be like, hey, now I'm going to talk shit to you and then show this to everybody. And I just don't understand the disconnect of, of the people that would watch that and go, oh, that was cool. Westbrook was wrong. Because then the guy totally exposed himself later on in the same video, whereas once he was far, far away from him, he started making fun of Westbrook. So he wasn't even being sincere the first time around. He just wanted to keep the conversation going. So whatever. I don't know. Observation. Not can super we, important. Can we go back to March Madness for a second? Please. I want to stop myself from talking. I was thinking about Coach K. It seemed, there's a moment here today when it seemed like they were going to lose before Michigan State just shit the bed. But they... It was in the air for about two minutes. There's a commercial. It was like, oh my God, Duke might actually lose round two. Jesus. Then I was thinking, Cal Perry gets knocked out in round one. And it feels like that Cal Perry, Kentucky thing, the magic feels like it might be gone with that. And you have Bayheim, you know, at near the tail end. But I was thinking, like, who's going to be the signature college basketball coach like eight years from now? Once this whole generation of guys gets weeded out or retires, the whole thing, is this it? Is this like the last, kind of the last hurrah for the impactful, awesome, larger-than-life college basketball coach? Or is there another generation coming? Is it like Jay Wright? Are we going to think of Jay Wright 10 years from now? Like, like we thought of like Dean Smith in the 90s? It doesn't feel like it. I don't think I also, so either. I also think the Big East, you know, all of it got so screwed up over the years, too. It just doesn't feel the same. Like, that was so great about the Big East back in its heyday is you had these massive personalities that were so different from each other. And, you know, back when I'm sure you and I both love college basketball as much as we did, I just don't have as much time for it now. But I loved it. I mean, I would rather watch Big Monday than an NBA game, like probably into my 20s. I remember watching Pac-12 stuff like crazy because I just loved it. It was like one couple of years there where the league was totally deep. But I'm I'm with you. I'm you know, I mean, what are you gonna have? Guys going three decades plus? I don't know if I don't know if work works that way anymore. You know what I mean? I I don't is anybody gonna have the juice to be able to have a bad couple bad losing seasons and stick around? I don't think the job is that anymore. Yeah, I was thinking about the 80s Big East. Thompson. Bayheim, Raleigh, Louis, Louis Carnesecca. And uh, it just felt like the coaches were almost the stars, even though there were all these great players throughout. The coaches always kind of levitated above everybody else. And then the ACC had that a little bit with Dean Smith and Roy Williams and Coach K. Um, but now we're heading into this era where I'm not sure who's going to have it because I don't feel like, you know, like even Tom Izzo, who I, you know, has been around forever and done some great things, but I don't feel like he has crossed over the way like John Thompson did. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't. I don't know. I don't. There was a while there where I would have put Izzo in a game up against anybody. Yeah, I'm not. That's, I'm not talking right. about actual right. skill as a coach. I'm just talking about like personality, charisma. Like you would think Jay Wright would have it, but I don't feel like. I I do wonder like with Duke and Calipari. Are these and Bayheim, obviously, but like like those three, will that be it? Well, self is somebody you would bring up at Kansas, but I mean, when think was about, last Bill? When was last Bill Self conversation? Like, would you have a fifteen minute <laughs> Bill Self conversation? Do people have takes sides on Bill Self? Like, no national takes. I really like Bill Self, just for the record. But yeah, uh, I like him too. But like, think about. In the 70s, 80s, and 90s, we would have long arguments, conversations about like Tarkanian and Thompson and, you know, Duke versus Dean Smith, who was better. Then it became Duke versus Ray Williams. And 
I don't know. It felt like such a big part of college basketball. Now I don't, I don't think about the coaches as much. I think that's the sport though. I, I, you know, it really is not in the daily consciousness the way that it was. And it felt like it happened really quick. And do you think you have to stay in the same school for like decades before that? You think that's a piece of it? Cause I guess Roy jumped from Kansas to North Carolina. Yeah, but he's but like still felt like two, two of the five blue bloods and he kind of went yeah. home, you know? So, uh, Maybe it'll be Sheen, Sheen Holloway. <laughs> I loved it. I loved old Big East guys getting it done. <laughs> I can't uh, tell you the Holy Cross threads I was on this weekend about, you know, for 30 years, my dream was for us to have a St. Peter's run. You know, just like have the two kids that get hot and the 15 seed, whatever. And, and everybody go, where did this school come from? St. Peter's has like a way less of an endowment than Holy Cross does. And yet they're the ones that made the Sweet 16 and we just couldn't figure it out. But the fact that they did it tells me like, you just need to get lucky with the coach, which is what we said with Holy Cross forever. Just the up and coming coach. Holloway's definitely going to leave now, right? Like there's no way he's there three years from now. But you got to get, if you can get lightning in the bottle once with that coach, then then that's it. You're off. And Holy Cross, it can never happen. UVM, same thing. You almost, you were, you were sitting there ready for like a little run. And it, like, what happens to UVM if you have a run this month? I, you'd have to understand UVM athletics that it's just never that much of a priority up there. It, yeah. it would be cool in the town. It would be awesome on campus. It'd be fun for all of us because that's the best part about being in the tournament. Like, you know, you start on Thursday and you're maybe going to bed or driving into work, uh, you know, going to bed tonight, driving into work Monday morning. And you're like, holy shit, I get another week. I get another week, especially if it's a team like St. Peter's where you go, I can't believe this. Like some, I, I mean, think of those guys. Right. They, they're like rock stars. That's the thing. If you could just get out of the first weekend, you have that four days or five, it could be five days potentially where it's just like the excitement is off the charts. We had a Holy Cross with the women's team, actually. The women's team made a run. It was fucking exciting. <laughs> it was, I was really into it. We had a chance. What, did you have a close game with... Was it Kansas like 20 years ago? No, it wasn't Kansas. We had the uh, the Billy Walker, Frank Powell teams got a little frisky in the uh, mid-90s one year. But we never, you know, that the closest the Holy Cross came was Dwayne, the Dwayne Wade year when we played Marquette and we were like toe-to-toe with Marquette. And then Marquette had this Wade kid who kind of, you know, and there was one <laughs> other guy. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, they have better athletes than us. But we just never were able to get over that. The St. Peter's thing. I had two bandwagon jumps. I had Iowa and Caitlin Clark. I watched the entire Caitlin Clark game today. And of course, the Iowa lost. So I felt like I was responsible. And then the St. Peter's thing was the other one. My dad oh, was wait. It was Kentucky 2001. Because I remember watching it. For Holy Cross. Yeah. Yeah. We couldn't. Guys, we we never got over the home. Four. Yeah. Did you watch the Iowa game today? I did not. I was getting caught up on F1. It was tough. Out of the gates. It was tough. It was the ABC spot for Caitlin Clark. I was totally ready to do a whole segment today about how she's the most exciting college person, Steph Curry. And uh, she didn't play very well. And they, they lost to a team that had somebody who transferred from Iowa and went to, uh, went to Creighton and, be, and beat their ass. And that's how that ended on ABC. No, I actually, I did want to check her out, but I mean, I was trying to, like you said, I, and on top of everything else, I go, when we're doing this pod tonight, how much NBA am I going to watch while all the tournament right. games are on too? So we're taking a break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up March Madness. We want to dive into the NBA and the connections with the uh, lottery picks. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time, that's usually about Five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Peloton. Spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's going to happen. It's going to get warm. going to start wearing shorts. going to start wearing bathing suits. You're just, you're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also. It's nice outside. Get outside, do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Okay. So it seemed before the Auburn game, it seemed like we were going to have the top four prospects in the draft all available heading into week two, this tournament. And then Auburn fell apart and uh, Jabari Smith stunk. And now he's got to wear that game like a scarlet letter. We should throw it out. I, I, I'm not worried about Jabari Smith. Not a good game, but I'm not going to do the overreact. He sucked in the thing. but. Uh, Chet, watching him. Can I give my Chet Holmgren nitpick? I do like Chet. So, the floor's yours. For somebody who's that tall and that long and seems to have good shot blocking instincts, I've watched Gonzaga a bunch of times now. People around the basket with him kind of get to the rim. They kind of go at him and, and his timing on some of those shot blocking isn't awesome. Like he's, if the guy's coming at him, it's fine. But around the rim, the shiftier guys are like the muscle guys. I'm not totally sold on him athletically as a shot blocker around there. And then maybe he'll get better. But so I, I think about that and I think of his physique. And I think he's one of the hardest to peg lottery picks of my lifetime. Wow. I don't, it's a, it's, he's an incredible ceiling basement guy. You could walk me in any scenario and I, and I don't even have a, an opinion yet. The one thing I like about him, I like that he moves and he's busy and he's not just a dude that's just kind of like plotting or standing there. Like he, he's, he's in awesome the game. He's the doing stuff. Yeah. He's always like his brain's moving. I like that. I just don't know what to make of him. I've never seen a player like him before, so I don't know how to evaluate it. And I know some of the people like Schmitz, KOC, um, Kyle Mann, like they all like him. It's not like anybody's like, this guy's going to be a bust. You know, Bradley, going way back, coming out of BYU, he took two years off, entered the draft. He'd had the one year to look at. Then he was two years older. And it was like, oh, what, what is this guy? Is he athletic enough? And I don't think people think Chet's going to be a bust. I, I, I just don't know how to evaluate it yet. So I'm excited to watch him in more games. Yeah, he's really impressive. I think you nailed it, though, on the floor ceiling thing, because I, I think if you argued about like who has the best ceiling out of this class, this is why people argue about him being number one. 
you know, because he does. He has that. Like, what if it all comes together? What if he fills out a little bit more? I mean, yeah, he gets pushed off of his spot. You know, we're one year out of high school with this kid and he's really skinny. Uh, I don't love he is athletic, but I don't there's just something about the way he's sort of hunched and his gait. That's a little weird, but then he'll be really explosive. Like he'll get going with a little momentum and he'll do a pivot through the lane, spin, dunk on you, and then run back the other way. I saw him block a shot in the San Francisco game in the tournament, in their conference tournament, where the guy was going to bring it around the other side of the rim. And he was like going up to block it with one hand and then realized the kid adjusted and he adjusted to the kid and then Mm. spiked it into the backboard. And you're like, that's some... There are really good instincts there. You know, like Wiseman was somebody a couple of years ago, one of the things I worried about, even though I liked him as a prospect, I was like, you can see him thinking every step of what he's doing. You can see him thinking the game instead of playing the game. Chet just plays. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that I really like there, but the problem is you have two absolutely, you know, just physical specimens in the argument with Bancaro and Jabari where, you know, Chet a different draft, maybe there isn't a discussion. But we're talking about really special players that have all the size you could ever want in the wing positions that are in the mix. Do you like any of these guys more than you liked Cade and Mobley last year? Uh, (laughs) I still think maybe I like Mobley more than any of them. I know know you liked him because I remember texting me like, I want to put Mobley one, but I also... You know, we'll get to this even maybe with the Sixers a little bit later today. I just don't think the game is played with your big guy getting you a bucket late, even though Mobley absolutely took over that Denver game uh, the other night. So having said all of that, uh, I still think I like Jabari. Mm. I just love him. Look, them losing and him stinking today, I don't care. Their guards are the yeah, worst. Yeah, I don't care. I don't like their guards. The, we the we guards, talked about that on another pod. You knew the guards were going to haunt. I just didn't think it was going to be round two. Right. When the guards sunk them. Yeah, right. So um, I also think it's easier for some of these better seeds to lose games too because it's almost all these groups are just put together on the fly. So I don't know if they have like the same sense of urgency like, hey, this is my last year. I'm a senior. <laughs> like nobody's saying that. Right. <laughs> most of the good players aren't those guys. So. um. I, I yeah, I think I still kind of like Jabari. You sent me an interesting Ben Caro text today that I didn't know. I didn't want to talk to you about it until we talked on the pod. You're out on him? No, I'm not out. I'm out on him as a, as the number one pick. Okay, why is that? And the more I watch him, I worry. Remember the play when Duke was up one, and the guy hit the three with like a minute left because mm-hmm. Ben Caro gave the ball up, but they they isolated him at the top. And he was going to try to score. And he did like this stutter step. And it just, it had no chance. And he kind of didn't know what to do. And he just kind of threw it to the guard. I don't know about him. And I'm sure people could send me a clip of him blowing by people at the top of the key a hundred times. I just, I don't know about him when he's playing at this next level, his ability to just go by people. And And that worries me. And it worries me that when he shoots, sometimes it seems like it takes like an extra split second to develop it. The shot versus like, you know, you think like Durant as like the perfect one where Durant was just like a lever. It was just like, boom, 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 boom. Get That's what Jabari's it. like. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's Durant and his shot. No, but, but it's the same kind of thing. It's just like a lever. It's a crispness to it where it looks the same every single time. So you're saying Boncaro's a little too loose for you, slow into the shot? I, I just wonder, what is he like seven years from now? What 
what's different about him? Is he does he have like a low post game? He seems to me like, and I, I I'm excited to watch him more, but um. I'm just trying to think of him in these different situations. Like, let's say he's on the Celtics, uh-huh. right? Let's just switch him with Jalen Brown on the Celtics for no reason at all. The Celtics, by the way, are a juggernaut. I don't want to switch anyone on the Celtics, but just like, let's make, let's make him a four with playing next to Robert Williams. Where is he in the court? Are we running plays for him? Is it like pick and roll? Is he the initiator? That's the part I can't figure out. How are teams going to use him? Is he going to be one of the best two options on a really good team, like initiating offense versus like just like people setting him up and him, you know, the kind of the way Duke uses him where they get him, they try to get him these little sneaky shots um, in that 18 to 22 range. But the the ball handling thing, I, I just don't know. I, I need to see it more. You've watched it more than I have. Yeah, I like him. I, you know, sometimes I'll watch him and I go, does he settle too much? And I want to look at the shot chart. And he ended up at like 31% from three on the season. Um, you know, he took a decent amount of them, but he still had other guys on the team. I mean, the other thing that's weird about this Duke team, depending on when you watch them, there are nights I really like Wendell Moore. I like their center, Mark Williams, a lot. AJ Griffin had a completely different second half of the season. We were like, okay, this is why this guy's a lottery pick. Yeah. Um, Keels is supposed to go in the first round. Roach is somebody who's playing a ton of minutes. They had like seriously built five guys that would be leading scorers on other major programs. Like if they were just, hey, we're throwing you on Minnesota's basketball team, okay? That guy would be the leading scorer. So it was, it's been a weird group. Because they also stink on defense, which for whatever reason, I don't know. They just, they just do. Um, or they're not, they're not as good as they should be. Maybe I should say it that way. Uh, I think Bancaro does mix it up well, though, with, with shooting, shooting in transition. I like the way he wants to get out and push, and he's, he's a, He's a good teammate that way. Like he'll get out and push, but he's not getting out and push from himself. Like he just wants to get the ball up the court, and he has really right. good vision in transition. And I do see when just when I start to think I haven't figured out, or like, oh, is he is he a little too loose today, or is he not as into it? Then he'll drive and he'll take he'll get you right in there. You know, he'll take you right in the paint and fucking spin and dunk on you. So I like him. I think it's funny to hear you pivot though, because and again, this happens with more minutes and more hours watching all these guys. You loved him. That first game? <laughs> I did. The more I watch him, I just like the upside of Chet and Jabari a little bit more. You know what's interesting? And it's so weird because they they look that thing alike and I, I realized it today, but it was the Duke thing. There's so, there's a Leitner-ish. A couple of the things he does reminds me of Leitner. Um, some of the stuff at the top of the key where, you know, he can like do these spin moves and barrel to the basket, stuff like that. And I was, so I was trying to think of like Leitner as a pro who was like not quite big enough to be a center in the way the old game was played, but he was like ultimately a power forward, but kind of kind of a stretch forward. He was a little ahead of his time, but couldn't bang as much as he did in college and the pros. And I oh. wonder, like, I guess my question is, will he be able to punish people if, they, if there's a smaller guy in him? Um, will he be able to exploit that? How will teams defend him? I don't know. I want to see more. I, I don't have a finished opinion on him yet, but it worried me today that it seemed like it's it seemed like it was hard for him to create shots a couple times when they really needed him. And I just kind of flagged it. Yeah, like AJ, when he gets kind of his side to side shit going, he he makes guys look bad trying to stay in front of him. Like he's got a little bit more of that. And he's also smaller, but he's got some more of that to his game than Paolo does, but I, I look, I still like Paolo a lot, and I think a guy like Cade, okay. he's he's bigger than Cade, 
And I'm not saying he's going to be Cade because Cade is, we're learning. Yes, yeah, Cade's really special. Um, but the great thing about Cade is that he'll understand, he just knows angles. Like, all right, you think you're even with me. I'm going to get my shoulder into you. I'm going to finish up on this side. Like, you thought you were with me, but you weren't going to contest this. And that's just one of Cade's special traits. I think Ben Carroll has some of that stuff, the way he drives and shields and and gets his body right in the defenders. So, and I don't, you know, like the other thing too, I would say, because I know there's other guys you want to talk about, but Sohan's a perfect example. All right, when you watch Sohan at Baylor, he's my big, guy. Right. He doesn't make a ton of shots as far as like the traditional shooting stuff. But he impacts the fucking game like every minute he's out there. I don't know what it, like you just have to keep watching him to go. And this guy is like and some of the shits in the gray area that you don't always love. But I think almost every roster needs one of those guys on their team. And then you've got Kendall Brown, who's like the six, eight guy who's a freshman, who's all everything coming out of high school, who's also supposed to be a lottery pick. And I think probably more teams have Sohan outside of the lottery because this, this, this draft is packed. I don't I don't notice Kendall Brown on the floor for long stretches of Baylor. Like, I'll be like, oh, that's right. That's the, that's the lottery guy. That's you know, that's my least round. favorite, my least favorite right. quality. If I forgot right. you were out there. Exactly. So, like, I would say the great thing about, the only times I don't notice Jabari is when his guards are ignoring him. I don't think it's a personality thing. The only, t- like, I don't ever have moments where I'm not noticing Chet. Because as you said at the very beginning, he's finding ways to be engaged the entire time. And Paolo, like for other guys that are supposed to be big time and go top five or whatever, I never have to, I don't, I don't worry about him that way, you know? So I think, I think that's what's so exciting about this class too, is that you just have like Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, the rest of that team's not very good. We knew that. We knew that yeah. all season long with Wisconsin. That guy is making like big basketball plays, the biggest moments. And I know his last game didn't shoot it well, but. I'm just like watching him going, hey, you know that shit we always worry about? Like, where's your mindset going to be at when stuff really matters? There's a bunch of guys in this class that I love because I think they check those boxes off. It looks like we struck oil with two straight classes. Totally. 2021 is out of control. 2021 is in the running for, if you're just talking like how many classes have pumped out seven to eight guys that I just absolutely love? I think we're at seven with the 2021. I'm still waiting for Panini to release their prison box. I'm going all in on this class. There's oh, so really? Many guys, oh, my God. Cade, Mobley, Giddy, Barnes, Kaminga. I mean, Franz Wagner, Sarudi's guy. Um, Davion Mitchell's played better. Yeah, but... It's, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to, like, and then, singoon. And then, uh, then Jalen Green, who... I think has really shown a lot of stuff and I don't even know if I would have him in my top five favorite rookies from the class. I don't not like him. Bones. You know? Yeah, Bones. Bones is doing stuff. But then you look at this class. You mentioned Sohan. God damn, I love that guy. Wow. I just, like, you might like him I, more than I do. I, was, I fucking love that guy. I He's the first guy. And I, I said this about Aaron Gordon. He let me down a little bit. But, you know, I've been really wanted Sean Marion 2.0. I've been waiting for that in my life for a while. And Sohan to me feels very Sean Marion-ish to me. And just relentless. He's on the floor all the time. He's just completely fearless. And I, w- I was just really impressed with him. Liked him. I thought he was the reason they came back. Um, let's do this. So I'm going to read you. This is my Hall of Fame of hardest players ever to evaluate for <laughs> me personally. Okay. All right. I love this. I never cared about the draft. I That's not true. I always cared about the draft, but I never like had enough of an opinion on the draft until 
uh, MJ and Bowie. Because that was ludicrous when it was happening. It really was. It was one of those things where it was like, wait, they're not going to take... Hakeem was one thing because, you know, you had to take... Hakeem had to go first. And it turned out to be the right pick, as crazy as it sounds. But MJ not going second, we don't need to litigate that. But Sam Bowie was the first really hard guy to evaluate that I can remember. Because he was good, but he had the stress fractures things. And it was just lingering over the whole thing because the talent was there. But then you would look at his stats and I just, that was the first guy I remember being confused by. So I have him. I have Walter Berry. St. John's. Wow. The truth. The original truth. It's my second favorite college basketball player of all time. 1986, 23 and 11, 56%. And I just thought, all right. And and it was like, no, he's not going to be a top 10 pick. It's like, why? It's like, because it's not big enough. It doesn't translate. It's going to be too hard. What? what? And he just didn't make it. And now there might have been other stuff going on behind the scenes, but it was the first time I really did. My eyes were telling me he was going to be better, but all the scouts were like, no, not a top 10 pick. And I was just like, wait, am I, what am I, am I doing this wrong? <laughs> so this guy's not going to come in and score 25 points. So I had a couple more of these. Bo Kimball in 1990, who averaged 35 a game for uh, Loyola Marymount. Now, granted, they had the pace, pace but just like the guy fucking scored 35 a game. He's not going to do that in college. Nope. Chris Jackson, who eventually became Mahmoud abdul Rauf, was just out of control as a scorer in college. But, you know, he had Tourette's and he, he had, if the team wasn't as good as I think people, and they, there was like a question like, well, what's this going to look like in the pros? And is he, is he, you're going to have to gear your whole offense around him. And I was like, no, he's going to be awesome. I guess he was kind of semi-disappointing as a pro, right? Compared to where we thought he was going to be in college because he averaged 29 a game in college. Think about that. Where Do you remember your your uh, Chris Jackson takes 30-plus years ago? Yeah. I I mean, he was he was appointment viewing for college basketball. Yeah. It just it seemed was, like he seemed yeah. like a lock for the NBA. And then they're like, it's too small. He's a, he's, he's a shoot-first point guard. It's not going to happen. I'm like, no, it'll be fine. So I got him. Sean Bradley, 1993. This was one for me. Isaiah Ryder, 1993. At UNLV in 1993, he averaged 29 points and nine rebounds a game and was a 52, 41, 83 percentages and was super exciting. And at that point, I was watching college hoops, and I just thought, like, people don't see it. This this guy, he's going to destroy the league. Um, he was just, I think, just had too many personal things going on. But that was a tough one because talent-wise, it was there, right? It was like, this is, this is happening. But the other stuff kicked in. Next one is a Donald Foyle, 1997. Here are stats at Colgate. 24 and 13 with 6.3 blocks per game. Remember, it was like, is this guy Bill Russell or is he just in the Patriot League? <laughs> <laughs> like, but what are we watching? <laughs> so I have him. Next one, Marvin Williams, 2005. Now, I was out on Marvin Williams, but I also thought he was hard to evaluate because I was like, if he was good, he would start for UNC. I was in that camp. But then there was the camp of like perfect 3 and D guy. You guys don't see it. He'll be, but I think my camp. His was right, body but, changed. He he was yeah, one he of those guys. Ass. 
he did the Drew Gooden thing where Drew Gooden at Kansas and it was like, oh, well, and Drew Gooden still was a hell of a player there, but it was like you turned into big ass rebound, punish you guy instead of like, give me the ball, I'm gonna slash through everybody. Yeah. So Marvin, Marvin went in that Drew Gooden direction. Adam Morrison, I think, is in the top three hardest person ever to evaluate. Cause he was an awesome scorer in college. I thought he was gonna be good in the pros. I kind of still feel like if he goes to a different team and doesn't blow out his knee, there's a world where he's good. But then other people were like, no, he's going to suck. Yeah. And I, it was really hard to figure out. Uh, Greg Oden, 2007. Don't need to litigate that one. Evan Turner, 2011 was really hard because he was like basically 20, 10, and 7 every night. It's like, what is this? Is this going to be something? Evan and Turner then, was a classic, I love this guy. How come people aren't talking him up? Yeah. I can't believe he's outside of the lottery. This is stupid. You guys are fucking stupid. And then it's like, oh, he's going to go two. I'm like, I don't like, and then you were almost arguing against yourself because for a right. year I'm watching him play at Ohio State. I'm like, I love this guy's game. He does everything like this is a joke that he's projected outside of the lottery. And then as it caught up, I was like, oh, I don't know if I like him this much. <laughs> yeah, it was it was like kind of like what happened with Westbrook, actually. Westbrook was my favorite sleeper in that draft. And all of a sudden he was going fourth. I was like, well, I didn't. That, fourth seems high. Uh, two more. I had uh, Austin Rivers, which just seemed like this guy was the best player heading into college basketball. Freshman didn't go the quite the way it went, but it still seems like he should, I don't know, have a little more cachet than being like the 10th pick. Dame Lillard's going to go about Dame Lillard is at Weber State. It's going to go ahead. Austin Rivers, who was the number one pick a year, number one recruit a year ago. I That might be in a draft diary archive of mine. It's like, really? really? We're taking Dame, yeah. Really? We're taking Dame Lillard over Austin Rivers? What are we doing? Dame was funny because it Tough. was, there was a team that I was talking to that was, they felt like they were on him earlier than other teams. It's not like there's going to be any secrets. And they were like, they had a pick, I think in the mid, middle of the first round. And we're like, we're going to get this guy. We're going to get this guy. And then they're showing up to Weaver State. And now they're like, everybody was on him. They're like, we're not going to get him. He's going to be gone. And he goes sixth. Yeah. Uh, my, la my last guy was Lamella. That's, that's my entire list. Yeah, Lamelo was 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 a tough one because it was Australia. It was it wasn't as bad as Giannis. Um, we talked about it on this pod many times. We had no idea what to make of it. The Australia stuff was terrible, and yeah, the, he played the interviews. Like, the right. interviews were were tough. But I we never when we get dragged for that, no one ever mentions that right up until the draft. Though I was like, hey, I'm hearing from teams that have gotten him in now, and they're like, nah, there's some there's some like smarter teams that I trusted. were like, we're sort of blown away. Like once we had him in here, uh, I think the Giannis one is one of the all timers because there's there's nothing I well there's definitely things I hate more than this, but one of the things I think is entirely unfair to front office and GMs is like oh look at all of these guys that went ahead of Giannis. And it's like okay, but did you watch? And that's why I always you know defend my position. Be like, did you watch him? Did you watch any of the Giannis stuff? Because the Giannis stuff was you didn't really know what to do with it. You but he also, he grew it. three inches too. He went from six, nine to seven feet after the draft. True. But it was the, the level of comp that at least I had access to. You were like, okay, like this is ridiculous. Like these guys, they looked like Ben's buddies with pennies on trying to guard Giannis in a gym where there were no seats on like one side of it. So, and I talked to John Hammond about it. You know, who and I go, what was it? And he was, he, he's always been pretty forthcoming. And in, in, in when you talk to him about stuff, and he goes, he just fit a profile of somebody thought 
had a really yeah. high ceiling. It's the middle of the first round. Like, you know, kind of like whatever. You know, there's definitely safer bets here. But look at this guy. Maybe he becomes this. Maybe a little this, little of that. And now he's, you know, in the conversation of the best basketball player in the world. But that was, that's absurd. It's absurd to think that when you look back at the stuff that you had access to when he's coming out of the draft. I don't even, he doesn't even make my hardest to evaluate list. Because to me, he was just a really raw, great athlete. Who the fuck knows? Could he be Paul George? I remember that was when, because I did that draft. I, I liked when they took him. I thought it was the right place to take him. It's like, oh, the guy could be Paul George. Like a 6'9", small forward who can handle the ball. Nobody, no fucking way. So that's my list. I have Sam Bowie, Walter Berry, Chris Jackson, Bo Kimball, Sean Bradley, Isaiah Ryder, Donald Foyle, Marvin Williams, Adam Morris, and Greg Oden, Evan Turner, Austin Rivers, Lamella Ball, and then new inductee, Chet Holmgren, who I think is in the Mount Rushmore for me of hardest fucking guy to figure out. You can tell me he's going to be on five All-NBA teams. And you can tell me he's going to be like fairly disappointing and I would believe any version of it. So anyone, anyone that uh, we didn't talk about that you would throw in there? All time? No, just for you. Hard, hard to evaluate guys. Well, that was the Giannis thing. Um, yeah. The Embiid thing was, I mean, Embiid was so clearly the best player in that yeah, class. Yeah, that was, but, that wasn't hard. But, but when it's a foot, it's a back. Like part yep. of the Embiid story that I think is kind of crazy, and granted, it was a little different, so maybe people don't see it. But if you play 31 games to start your career in the first three seasons, and then you become an MVP and arguably one of the best in the game, like that's normally you don't get that start to a good story, right? That's usually that's usually the start to a disappointing story. And for all the bumps and bruises along, like he stayed way healthier than I ever thought he would. But you also understood with somebody that big, sometimes the foreign prospects. Uh, the, the teams can get a little spooked sometimes on some of the medical stuff. And, you know, Jabari Parker went ahead of Joel Embiid. And not one person thought Jabari Parker was better than Embiid. <sighs> that was a tough one. I don't, I mean, he hurt his knee again after that draft too, but he had, he, let's see if the double ACL thing. Um, let's take a quick break. I want to figure out most fun teams for these guys to go to. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. So Tankapalooza, which is looking like a top four of Houston, Orlando, Detroit, and OKC, probably in that order. There could be some jacking. And then you got Indy and Sacramento and Portland, who is bound and determined to lose every game by 40 points the rest of the year. I, I don't know if people appreciate who is playing basketball for the Portland Showblazers right now. So that's our top seven. Houston, Orlando, Detroit, OKC. Then Indy, Sacramento, Portland. Then it drops again. The uh, New Orleans is going to give Portland their pick if it's between 5 and 14. The Lakers are giving New Orleans their pick. Right now, that would be 11th. So those are the only uh, pick, pick swap situations. So let's go through our guys and decide most fun team for them to go to. Let's start with Jabari. I'll give you the following four choices. Houston, Orlando, Detroit, OKC. And you can even throw an Indian Sacramento if you want. 
Where do you want Jabari to go? I wonder if Orlando trades out if they end up with a number one pick because they just don't have room. Because of what a juggernaut there? Because of all the talent they have now. Like, do we want to bring in another number one, like Chet and Jabari Apollo, and, and mess up what we have? <laughs> I'm telling you, I think I like Orlando. I, I like watching them. You're, you're preaching and, the choir. Right. So, yeah, we don't need, I'm actually not making fun of Orlando, even though it sounds like I'm making fun of Orlando. Listen, they're playing both Wagners and it's working. I want, I want Cade to have somebody he can trust. So, so who's I that? Was, Detroit. I would say Jabari. Interesting. Because I had... Yeah, that, that would be a good fit because they have some size. And it's just, you know, it's weird. There's always... I talk about this far too much, but the balance of having a lot of scoring options and a lot of scoring options fucking up your balance. You know? How do you, how do you play that note perfectly where it's like we have a lot of guys that can create that Raptors thing from 19, you know, like, hey, we get a lot of guys that are comfortable with the ball in their hands, but it doesn't mean that now people feel left out and aren't committed to defending and all the other kind of stuff. Although, really, I I buried the headline. The best fit is Chet and OKC and Poku's like, all right, I'll take him under my wing. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> We're talking about Chet in a second. On your Jappar Detroit thing? Yeah. He's super competitive, and so is Cade. And that would be one of those situations where it's like, all right, you have those two guys. You have Sadiq Bey. You have Stewart, who I think really gives a shit. He's a now backup, like, though. He's no, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm just like, you have, now you're just adding, you're putting together a roster of like guys who give a shit. Like, you, you're on your way to having identity. That's a good point, yeah. You know what I mean? How about Sadiq dropping 50? Because he hadn't been as good this year, and I still like him. You know, whatever. Maybe he's having a bad year compared to his Does it feel, Is 50 too easy now? I feel like when the, the days when like Eddie House had 50, it was like the most surprising thing that happened to me in the entire year. <laughs> and now it's like Sadiq Bey has 51. I'm just, Wait, so you're, not you trying to, you're suggesting your entire year was just like, remember that year Eddie House had 50? Yeah, that's where it year. starts. It, it was, I didn't have a lot going on that year. Uh, I have Chet to OKC as well. I think that's perfect for him. I don't love the thought of him in Detroit for some reason. Just Darko, Darko vibes. Yeah, that doesn't make any I, sense whatsoever. It, no, it, it does make sense though. I don't. I just don't. I it's don't so. It's no. It, I said it out loud. Being dumb, like there's no way that because Darko sucked twenty years ago. I don't like that aspect of it. <laughs> I want Chet to go to a team where he has no shadow of any sort of bust hanging over him. He goes to OKC. <laughs> he's fine. He's got two guards. He's got Giddy and he's got SGA. And I think he would play really well with those guys. He's really good at the little handoff stuff. The thing we didn't, when we were talking about Chet before, the thing that I really like about him is, is how he, because he's so fucking tall and he's hunched over a lot. And then when he, when he kind of unhunches, Unhunches, yeah. When he unhunches, all of a sudden he's like Bill Walton sometimes at the high at the high post. It just seems like he could throw any entry pass he wants. And I, I just like the thought of those three guys together. I would be, I would enjoy. I would love, I love Giddy throwing lobs at Chet because Giddy Giddy has that thing where he he makes you think he's done with the play. Yeah, you know what I mean. He does. He's awesome at this shit. Like, and a lot of the guards. You know, this whole high screen and that lob and, and trying to get the big who's in drop coverage to showing and retreating. You know, Gobert does it perfectly. He did it the other night against Milwaukee. It was like a master class. 
but Giddy will do stuff, and the best guards do that, where they'll they keep you baited. And having an option like Chet, who has great hands, has great feet. You know what I mean? Like this isn't somebody who's just this freak show that's running around. I don't love his gait, as I said, because of the back, you know, and shoulders and stuff. But yeah. he's not. He's not like running around where you see these guys and you're just like, where's the coordination? He's super coordinated, despite it just doesn't look all that great all the time. I think your Chet to Detroit thing's hilarious and likely wrong. But anyway, I just needed to get that off my chest. I don't like it. All right. No, Fundamentally, I don't like it. Noted. <laughs> I uh, I tweeted yesterday that I like that Chet is, is a sneaky, busy guy, which I want Jay Billis to borrow that when he does the draft telecast. Sneaky, busy is an adjective. The guys who are just kind of just sneaking around. They're like burglars. They're just kind of up to stuff. I like that he doesn't stand in a spot. He, he's he's just kind of doing things. So on which the report, for a big guy is rare. If you were still doing the draft for ESPN on the graphic, sneaky busy. It was, it's sneaky busy, or it would say the opposite of Tobias Harris. <laughs> <laughs> Although Harris has been playing really well lately. I just, just to throw it out there, I think his last week plus he's been putting up big numbers. But all right, so we, so our dream scenario is Detroit wins the lottery again and they take Jabari Smith. OKC is second with Chet Holmgren. Where do we want Paolo to go? Don't say they, Houston. Him just trading possessions with Jalen Green kind of worries me. Look, I'm just going to tell you right now. I don't want anyone that I like to go to Houston. Yeah, I'm um, with you. Is because, that a bad thing to say? No, I, I don't like the culture there at all. No, and it's not even on the coach. It's not Jalen. Um, I, I just the Christian Wood, Kevin Porter Jr. Dynamic. Yeah, he, he, th those guys have to go. So if they were gone, yeah, then yeah, Paolo, Jalen Green, Sengun, you know, a little Usman in there. I have uh, uh, I have for Paolo. I have Indy. I have Indy moving up into the top three and striking oil with Paolo, and then he gets to play with Halliburton and Brogdon. I like that fit. Yeah, because I think people are going to think it's just me being anti-Houston again. It, it, it isn't. It's just I don't I don't like young guys that are in situations where it's just older guys that don't want them there or don't want them to shoot. Well, we, we like we like Jalen Green and we like Shangun and we like Gordon. I I'm not a Porter guy and I'm not a Wood guy. There you go. Well said. Uh, I would like so, the Celtics to trade up for Matherin. This kid from Arizona is, he's just stones, man. Stones. I don't know how we're in overtime right now as we're taping this, but he carries himself exactly the way you want every wing scorer to carry himself. I have my Orlando selection. I think, I, I think that's the right Ivy place. I think that's actually the perfect team for him to go to. And then Cole... And Suggs and one of those guys becomes the third guard, which is probably the destiny for one of them. They're going to have to just do rock, paper, scissors. But they need like that, you know, the two guard who can do some stuff and be athletic and create some shots and have some high upside. That would be my dream for that team. Because I wouldn't mess with the front court because it's basically they put together the 86 Celtics. <laughs> you want Bird, to Mikhail Parrish, Wagner, Bamba, Carter. It's, it's very when similar. I when Isaac gets back, <laughs> Isaac back from his five year, five year hiatus. But yeah, I would I would have Ivy going to uh, Orlando. That'd be good. And then, because yeah, you know, by the way, you know, I like RJ Hampton. I like him. Um, I'm not. They kind of stole him, right? What what yeah, trade was he in? Was they in got the him Denver. for like nothing. Yeah, it was in the Denver deal. I like so, RJ Hampton too. I think he's a bench guy. I think 
Cole is probably you know, on a good team. Go ahead. You know what I liked, RJ Hampton? That game when Kyrie was going off, the 60-point game. And RJ Hampton was kind of like, I got this, guys. I'm going <laughs> to let me have him. And he tried, he, <laughs> he tried to guard Kyrie for multiple possessions, but like really felt like he could stop him. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and then, you know, uh, this this next group, though, like there's all these G League guys that I need to do a better job of digging into. Mm. This is... Yeah, it's too early. We just want to do the top four. Where do yeah, you, totally. What's your dream Sohan team? Uh, I think I said every... I wanted everyone to go to Golden State for like 10 years, so I shouldn't say that anymore. You know, because remember we were doing that for the Phoenix Suns when it's seven seconds or less? We'd be like, oh, you know, he'd be great with Phoenix. Just running up and down Phoenix. I want... It's like the Scotty Barnes thing. I want Sohan to be allowed to be Sohan. And that usually means away from a ball dominant guard. So KOC had him ninth on the big board, which I was fired up about. Cause to me, uh, he's a top 10 that. guy. Look yeah. At that. Yeah. So the trades, the Lakers have no, it goes to new Orleans if it's in the top 10, but then it goes to Memphis if it's 11 to 30 and they're right on that 10, 11 French Memphis could have the 11th pick in the draft. I mean, that would be a perfect. Sohan team. Imagine that. I, actually, that's a great call. I like that. New Orleans is top four protected, or it goes to Portland 5-14, or Charlotte 15-30. to 30. Houston gets Brooklyn's pick. Brooklyn gets Philly's pick. San Antonio gets Boston's pick. San Antonio gets Toronto's pick. Indy gets Cleveland's pick. And Memphis gets Utah's pick. You know who, you know who he might be great for is Atlanta. Sohan? Yeah. Dude, somebody's going to text Sohan on Monday going, do you know these guys? They talked about you off and on for an hour and a half. You're not that good. I love Sohan. I'm all in. Uh, <laughs> Are you? So, when's Atlanta going to be good? By the way, I know they beat Memphis this week. They're they're a game under 500. We're 70 plus in here. Just waiting on you guys. Just wait. You know what I've done with them? I'm just out. It's one of those things. Like <laughs> I don't watch them anymore. And I'm going to wait for somebody to tell me they figured it out. It's okay to watch them again. I, st- <laughs> I don't enjoy it. I, it doesn't seem like the guys really enjoy playing with each other that much. And as you talked about on previous pod, you can't act like you won the finals last year when you made the Eastern finals. And you probably shouldn't have. It took the, a major Ben Simmons meltdown for it to happen. I'm just annoyed by them. You know who I'm not annoyed by? Drumroll. Okay. The Boston Celtics, who just beat the shit out of everybody. I, 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 I was trying to think of another surprising Boston team that just kind of Jekyll and Hyde it like this team did. And the only one I could think of is the Morgan Magic Red Sox. 88. Yeah. But that team wasn't, that team wasn't like annihilating teams. Like this Celtics team, how many games are they just up by like 25 in the second quarter? In fact, it feels like what, 60% of their games, 70% of their games, they're just, it's 62 to 30, you know, 59 to 38. This is an easy game to, to have it gotten lost. I mean, they had 70 at the half. They were up 30 like that. This game was over and everybody's zinging the ball around. Um, this was, you know, I know it ends up being a 20 point game. This thing was over so fast, man. And it was hilarious. Like in the second quarter, 35-16, they outscore them. 
Tatum is almost a perfect game here going. Jalen has 30 as well. Pritchard knocks down everything. Pritchard, so Pritchard's been coming. Off the my, ball now stuff. So go ahead. I was talking to him about my dad yesterday, and he was like, are you going to go to the funeral? And I'm like, for who? And he's like, for Derek White's jump shot. I'm going to go. Like he was making fun of how bad Derek White's jump shot. It's like my dad's still throwing heat at age 74. Derek White can't make a shot. That's that's the worst thing going on with the Celtics right now is that his shot's off. And if that's your worst problem, you're doing pretty well. They did give up a pick for him. Right. I Look, this is this is unbelievable um, how dominant they've been. And, you know, when they first put the streak together, it was like, okay, they were missing. Every one of those teams seemed to be missing their best players. And then they're starting to beat healthy teams. I mean, it's a two-month stretch where statistically it's so off the charts what they're doing now. It's but a two and you, a half months now. Have you allowed yourself to, to start thinking about a banner, though? Like how does how does that change? Because to me, I was completely dismissive of it. Now I'm more open to it, even though I still thought some of the projection stuff was absurd. How much it weighted it towards the Celtics championship um, in comparison to some other teams, I still think are really good. But where are you now? Like, give me give me a timeline of events of of your emotional, how much you allow yourself emotionally to to think that's possible. Great question. Thank you for asking. I'll just tell you this. I told my wife this week, I'm probably going to be in Boston a lot during the spring. I'm just flagging this for you. And we, we had the talk about, can I go back? How many games can I go back for? I can work from there. Um, looked at the calendar for things I had to be in LA for. I'm taking this seriously. So that's your answer. <laughs> okay. The team's, the team is, the team has been lights out for two and a half months and it feels real. And I think they're really hard to play. I think defensively, they've been the best in the league and and I don't even know who the second place best in the league defensive team is. And they match up really well with a lot of the teams they have to play. You know, Brooklyn has the, I just, you know, nobody wants to play Durant for a series, but I do think if there's going to be no Simmons in that series, it's a good matchup for the Celtics. Philly, they can run and move up and down and really use their athleticism. And I think defensively, they've always had success against Harden. The team that I'm most afraid of is Milwaukee because of the Giannis piece, because I just think he's unbelievable. And that's, he can swing a series athletically in a way that you're just like, what just happened? Um, and they've been there before and I think they're getting guys back and I'm probably the most worried about them. But yeah, I think to me, it's Milwaukee and Boston and Brooklyn, and Miami, and those are the four. And I don't have Philly in the four. I don't. Feel free to stick that quote on a bulletin board. I don't think they have enough. I don't think they've been together long enough. I think they're too slow. And I think there's ways to just beat them in a series. I don't trust Doc. I, I don't think that, to me, they're not in the four. Yeah, I really was unimpressed again with Philadelphia today. Yeah, you uh, watched that one. I didn't. So what would you say? You know, I just don't understand how teams that have never done anything together collectively carry themselves like they have done something. You know, it goes back to that Celtics team with Kyrie. I couldn't stand them. Couldn't stand them. Constantly mm. talking about how nobody can beat us in seven games. You're like, or Milwaukee's going to win four in a row. It's going to be humiliating. Um, 
a little bit to the Atlanta piece that we talked about a little bit earlier. Like, who, what right do you have to carry yourself as if you've fucking done anything? And Philadelphia doesn't have guys that have individually done anything, and they just can't be bothered. Maybe it's because it's a Sunday, you know, I don't know. But they can't be bothered, right? They can't be bothered to defend, to close out, to take, you know, different stuff seriously. And then they start the fourth quarter. It's like three straight turnovers. Well, they get nothing they, from their bench either. Nothing. And there was a good piece. I think it was Hoffman from The Athletic that wrote about how bad some of these minutes are with the backups. And it's not just, hey, shocker, breaking news. The backups aren't as good as the starters. But it was really good that these DeAndre Jordan minutes have been disastrous. And I also thought he made a really good point. Like, I thought Harden looked the healthiest and the most active and engaged he's ever been, like, in, in, at least in a couple of years when he first got there, which is always kind of that new car smell thing that players always do. It's like when you're meeting the in-laws for the first time, like you're just on your game, you know, you're asking questions, you're pretending you're actually interested in follow-up answers and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and be like, oh, that's really great. That was you do exp- exporting, importing too. So that's, oh, wow, that's yeah. terrific. So Harden played that way for like a week. And then slowly... I was like, wait, has he lost a step again? Like, what, what's going on with him? So I know those guys think they're just, it's all going to click. It's all going to be fine. And as much as I love Embiid, and I do, and the maxi element maybe calms you a little because it's this other dynamic. Like, I don't know what ceiling I'm supposed to put on Tyrese Maxey at this point. Like, he and Jordan Poole, for me, are now guys where I go, mm. I, what, why am I supposed to have a ceiling on either one of these players? The shit Maxey's doing for his size and finishing the way he's doing at the rim, and then on top of that, the shooting and the fact that he's off the ball, doesn't have the ball as much now, and he's still, he's better, um, maybe gives you some hope for Philadelphia. But I worry a little bit about a post-offense being your central go-to thing in a playoff series. Well, today they lose to the Raptors. They score 88 points. Danny Green, three points off the bench. Niang, who I think is one of their best five players, he had 11. And then Paul Reed, DeAndre Jordan, and Shake Milton with zeros. They don't play cork bots anymore. I think Doc has just completely given up on him. And unless I'm missing something, I think that's everybody. Millsap's there. He's been done for a couple of years. I just don't love the team. And I think, you know, like I was against Dallas on Friday night. Dallas is slow and methodical, and that's good for Philly. But against these teams that are going to run, these teams that are deep and have a bench, I think they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Like, it's just amazing that they're playing DeAndre Jordan. You know, and it makes me wonder, like, did they... I don't love Drummond either, but did they have to throw Drummond in that trade? Like, do you think Brooklyn was like, we're not doing this trade unless Drummond's in it? Yeah, I haven't always been the biggest Drummond guy, but I've watched him at certain nights. I think he's even better with Brooklyn. I, I agree. Like been, I think Couldn't been, they have gotten like Brooke Lopez or there was nobody else? Like DeAndre Jordan was, that's where they landed. I don't know, think you they're You mean deep Robin enough. Lopez. Robin Lopez, I'm yeah, sorry. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, you think like Toronto, they're going to try really hard. They're athletic. And that's an interesting test for Philly and they failed. And I don't, I just don't see it with them. I also think they've already kind of made it clear they don't, they don't want to be in the top two. So now, Boston is now 44 and 28. Philly's 43 and 27. Boston's going to pass them. And Philly's going to get into that four or five matchup with Chicago, which is what they want. And if Chicago, like they got Patrick Williams, I guess he's coming back Monday. Lonzo's going to be back. All of a sudden, they're going to be deep with Io. And I think their bench could give Philly a lot of problems. I'm worried about Chicago, though. I mean, we're talking about a team that was 26 and 10. 
toast the town and i love it i love that fan base you know yeah and i'm not even talking about like the jordan stuff because i didn't really appreciate it as much back when it was happening but watching them have this resurgence i always want to give front offices credit and say hey let's just be better do you want to just be better you know do you not want to be mm. fighting for the 10 or 11 you know why don't we just be better and they're 26 and 10 uh they've had their injuries almost every single fan base can point to missing a good chunk of the season you know not having their guys Chicago has been 15 and 19 since that point. Oof. And they. The, yeah, the Celts the were nine and a half behind them. And yeah, now the they are of, above them. Month of March, they're, they're like the fifth worst offense, the sixth worst defense. And I know the point is, oh, we're going to get Lonzo, you're going to get Patrick Williams, all this different stuff. I, I think it's been a great story. It's a nice resurgence. They've been a very good basketball team now for two months. The Celts have for whatever reason, played way more games than anybody else. They just went 3-0 in this road trip. They got OKC on Monday night. And then they have um, Utah, Minnesota, Toronto, Miami, Indiana, Washington, Chicago, Milwaukee, Memphis. But spread out. You know, they're playing 10 games over the course of the next basically 20-plus days which is nice. There's other teams like Philly has a bunch of games left. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, all right, a couple more things. We'll take one more break. Here's the topic for you. I didn't tell you this was coming. The 2022 Year Out of Excuses All-Stars. Okay. We did this last year. I don't know if you remember. James Harden. We're tapped out. The box is empty. There are no excuses left. You pushed out, pushed your way out of two teams. You pushed your way to Philly. You're playing with one of the best four to five guys this season. Team wanted you. Your guy Daryl's there. You're out of excuses. Literally, you're out. None left. Agree? You should have a sound effect for this. Just a little drop. You're out. You're out. You agree, though, Hard. This is it. Like, what, like if they suck, let's say they lose in round one to Chicago. They lose in like five games. What? What's the spin coming out of that? You've just wasted an MVP caliber season from Embiid. You went on all on this, on this trade. You traded picks. You traded Seth Curry. And then it's like, oh, these guys just need a year to gel. I guess that's what they would say. Does that, is Doc Rivers the coach next year? No, if they lose in the first round, that won't happen. No way. No yeah. way. They'll be coaching the uh, I'm kind of already there, so this isn't new news for me. I'm sure yeah. not a shock to longtime listeners. But yeah, that would be, if they were to lose early, and then, oh, by the way, now you're going to go pay him. <laughs> you mm. can pay this guy. Well, I'm sure that's already agreed to. I think Doc is on the year out of excuses all-stars as well. Yeah. Just like, you've coached more talent over the last 15 years than any coach in the league. Maybe even twice as much talent as any coach in the league. Twice seems high, but... 120% as much as any coach in the league. Rudy Gobert? Well, it depends on what the Rudy Gobert conversation is. Like, I appreciate him, right? Um, and then... We have what happened in the Clippers series, which wasn't really all his fault. They were asking him to cover the rim and the corner. It's fucking really hard to do. But the problem is he doesn't ever scare you offensively. 
So, yeah, I don't. I think it's already to that point. Like, do you think there's how many undecideds? That's probably the best way I would ask this to you. Of all the stuff in life that we talk about as a country, how many undecideds do you think there actually are? Um, with Rudy Gobert or just in yeah, general? Just, well, you could say it in general, but like, how many people are still holding out hope being like, you know, one more year, I'll see what happens. So you might be right, but I imagine well, so, more people aren't, aren't going to change their mind about him already anyway. All right. If I'm a Utah fan, I'm looking at this season, I'm going, the Lakers went completely sideways. An incredible break for us. The Clippers, they trade, you know, seven years of picks for Kawhi and Paul George. This is year three of just having the worst luck possible with that. You have Denver, which every week that goes by where Jamal Murray doesn't come back, starts to seem more unrealistic that he's going to be able to help them. And they're just not deep enough. Then you have Dallas that seems like they're a player away. You have the Warriors who Curry gets hurt and, you know, I, you know, I hate foot injuries. One of my least favorites. Foot, back, those are my two. Um, and Curry's just going to come back as we head into the playoffs. I'm worried about that. Then I have a big man, Wiseman there officially. Seems like they're punting on. It's uh, suddenly a lot on Kevon Looney and Draymond. Memphis hasn't been there before. Phoenix keeps having this bad luck. Like, if I'm Utah, I'm like, could this be more fucking set up for us? Like, let's go. But nobody has taken them seriously at all. But we knew this was going to happen. It didn't matter. They could go 70 and 12. Nobody was going to care. Well, they're out and of by excuses. The, by so the way, Quinn I'm, uh, I'm worried about them against Memphis. Utah. Yeah. Well, round one, I think it would be Dallas or Denver, right? Unless Minnesota keeps on this fucking crazy run they're on. And Minnesota has a chance now to crack at the top six. Minnesota, Denver, Denver's got to worry about, by the way. Minnesota in the month of March is nine and one. They're the number three offense and the number one defense. Just killing teams. One more year out of excuse. Oh, I have a couple more, actually. Anthony Davis? No, he still has plenty. You think he has some left? Most people would agree with you. I'm, I'm holding out hope. What are, I just what think, your, what's I in just the excuse chart for Anthony Davis? Give me some. I just don't think my career's over at 29. Can everybody not, fuck not off? Not saying it's over. Yeah, yeah. But what about when they traded 17 first-round picks for him and it was like, Wilt, Kareem, Magic, Anthony Davis? I think a couple guys being on the top 75 really hurt them. There was extra angst. Anthony Davis is one, Westbrook's the other one. They're like, wait, we put this guy? So what are your excuses left for Anthony Davis? Because when he was 25 and they traded all that shit for him, everyone was like, that makes sense. This guy's fucking awesome. He's going to be amazing. And now he's 28. And he gets hurt every year. Uh, just gonna get Bad luck. New- so bad, the bad luck excuse is a good one. Vegan. Yeah, bad luck with injuries. I'm going vegan. Okay. Have you watched Bad Vegan, by the way, on Netflix? I heard it was really good. It's really good. Not quite sure why the Russian guy seems to get away with a lot, but we'll, I don't, spoiler alert. I have two more, you're out of excuses. It makes me want to tweet at famous people more. All right, back to basketball. This is really for Saruti. V- uh, Vucevic, are you good or not? Let's see in a playoff <laughs> series. <laughs> we We got a long look under the hood of Evan Fournier outside of Orlando, and I don't think anyone liked the engine. And Vooch has not had the most awesome 
offensive performance this year compared to what we saw in Orlando? And it's like, all right, are you good or not? Yeah, but let's we knew it. that. We knew he was just going to get the same it. touches. Let's see it. What do you got? Saruti, you want to take this one? Saruti? Uh, everything that you needed to know about Vooch happened in the Toronto series a couple years ago when he was a complete no-show after being their best part of the entire year. I love the guy. Great years in Orlando. He's just not that dude. Sorry. Yeah, guess he's out of excuses. I can't believe he's still taking... He's still taking 16 shots a game with this Chicago team. Um, he had a little bit of a good run, but it, it's... He doesn't he's not make threes. They they were he's not making threes this year, and he doesn't really get to the free throw line for a guy that plays that much. That's pretty crazy. God, he's, he can rebound, though. He's to kill the Celtics. One more was, year out of excuses. Celtics got killed by centers for like two straight years, remember? Yeah. I think the Kawhi-Paul George trade, this is the last year where we can make excuses for it. And then if nothing good happens next year, we officially have to start talking about how this is just an atrocity of a trade. Bad luck, but still, they gave they gave away SGA and a bunch of picks and went all in and they were supposed to be the Clippers taking it seriously. And it's like, all we all we have to show for it is couple round twos and a lot of injuries. And again, bad luck. But I just think 20 years from now, and we'll, we'll look back at that and be like, man, remember when the Clippers traded all that shit for Kawhi and Paul George? Then those guys never played together, really? Because one of them was always hurt. That's where this heads, right? Yeah, look, I can't, I can't disagree with any of this part of it, too. And I always kind of joke whenever I look at those trades and go, my God, they threw in that pick. Like, what did Presti ask for first? You know what I'm saying? Like, how did how did you get to this point with it? And in the mo- like, remember how we had talked about this? And I remember you telling me that Daryl had heard something I said, and he was like, it was almost like I, I don't agree with much of what he says, but he was right about that. So that's why I remember it. And that we we've overrated, we've overvalued mid to late first round draft picks way too much. Like, if you look at the hit rate on them for success. Yeah. They're, they're, it's way lower than you would think. It sounds cool when you have like the 17th pick. It sounds awesome when you trade for like, oh, we traded this guy for two first. And you end up with like the 25th and 27th. And good luck. Good luck. If you get a rotation guy out of one of those two. But then it's it swung so hard, Bill, to where it was like, so wow, now what do you do? You just give a decades of picks? Like you just give them all your picks? Just give them all, all? And they're all unprotected? And then you throw in the unprotected swaps? And then you have these deferments on some of them where it's like, if we just don't like this, we'll just do it next year instead. And you're sitting there going like, if, if the Kawhi Paul George thing continues to go as bad as it's gone, it's a it's a weird job. Or they just say, screw it, you know, Miami Heat style and go, doesn't matter. We'll just add the next available veteran that wants to come here. But I don't know if the Clippers have that kind of cachet. Maybe they do, but not the success of the Miami Heat. I think the other players notice how the Clippers are second-class citizens here. And like, the you know, Paul George getting booed at a Dodger game, stuff like that. I will say this about Presti. We, you and I were talking about this recently, not on a podcast, about um, there's two camps of why LeBron mentioned Presti at the All-Star Weekend. One was that he's trying to plant the seed for, I guess, like maybe... Maybe Presti drafting his son down the road. Who knows? I thought, I interpreted it as he wants Presti to run the Lakers next year. And that was why I think everything LeBron does, especially in a stage like that, is pretty purposeful. And that was why he floated that out. And if you think if you're Presti, like, at some point, 
you got to move to one of the big markets, I think. And I think he's the best guy available out there. So that, that was how I interpreted it. But you didn't interpret it that way. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't rule out the second part, but I do think the motivation was hoping that the Thunder have a million picks and LeBron said something nice because I think he's very calculated with everything he does. And in that setting, he had clear things that he wanted to say um, and get it out there. And I think he wanted to get his son drafted. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I just don't think that Presti and I just don't know that there's going to be a lot of GMs that would go, I'm on the fence about this prospect. But he was LeBron was super complimentary in Cleveland All-Star Weekend two years ago. So, here, so, so, so with the 17th pick, yeah. we take Brady James. <laughs> yeah, I'll take him. I'll take him. Uh, I, I think the the Thunder thing, though, big picture, what what ends up happening with all these picks and everything, like that's as interesting. Well, you know, it's not the most interesting thing about the future in the NBA, but if we were ranking, if we were doing a Simmons top five storylines for the next five years. Oh, yeah. I, I can't wait to see what happens with it. Because even if you're Oklahoma City, and you're like, okay, now we're armed with so much stuff, we can outbid anyone for the next Mad Star. Okay, cool. And then that when then what happens? You give up three, four firsts for a guy that doesn't want to stay in Oklahoma City because most guys aren't going to want to stay in Oklahoma City. So what are you actually paying for? And then to say, well, this means you can maneuver around the draft. I don't know. History has never shown us this. And maybe yeah, they couldn't do it last year. They were just, yeah. they were dangling six and everything to move to the top three, and everybody was like, "Cool, thanks." No, right. So like, what if you what if you were this year and you go, "Oh, we landed at three, but we think Chet is a franchise changing player." So here's four extra picks. You know, if it's that kind of special player, even though the top of the strap is deep this year, I don't know that teams do those trades either. So it's a really weird thing. And then there can be times when you have so many picks, the other teams, because there's there's actually so many teams that like a handful of teams that have a co- greater concentration of these picks, that your value of the picks can be undermined by somebody else who also doesn't want to pick fucking, you know, <laughs> 10 guys over three years that are top 15 picks. So I don't know what's going to happen with it. And to say, oh, well, Presti would never leave because he wants to ride it out. I think it's more challenging and more complicated. than It sounds great, but the execution of it, I'm at a loss for how it all plays out. So I wouldn't be shocked if he wanted to go somewhere else. Yeah, if you think what's happened the last five years, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on sports. I have completely lost my ability to understand how many draft picks is worth what in football and basketball. Like, Devontae Adams only went for a first rounder and a second rounder. Deshaun Watson, who's going to get suspended and who's going to cause, like, a fan base riot when he gets to Cleveland, he goes for three first round picks. Wilson goes for two. Anthony Davis goes for 100. Harden goes for way more the last time. This time he goes for Ben Simmons and two firsts, and Ben Simmons has a bad back and can't play. I've just given up trying to figure it out. I don't understand it. Derek White goes for a first-round pick and a pick swap. It just seems like the, I don't know. It just seems like it's basically up to the beholder. It's almost like going to an auction and watching, you know, like one of those school auctions and watching two drunk dads just kind of compete against each other. Like, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason for it anymore. No, the it just Watson seems- thing blew my brain. I couldn't believe they gave up three first-rounders for him. That was always the price. And that's like always I get the it, price. But yeah. That doesn't mean you're going to get it. And then you have to deal with all the other stuff. That, I mean, Jesus Christ. And they gave him the 230 guaranteed. I, I just, I don't know what to make anything anymore. The guaranteed is, is fucking crazy. Dude. 80 million more than Rodgers? Like, I guess the take coming out of it is like quarterbacks, because there's, there was always like, we're never going to guarantee money in the NFL. But I guess what we're seeing now with the quarterbacks is that they're basically becoming NBA players. Yeah. Where people are giving them the the supermax. 
Nobody uh-huh. else is going to get that on the team. But the quarterbacks, because you don't have to worry about them really getting hurt anymore because quarterbacks never get hit. Um, that's, I guess, where we landed. I'm just having a lot of trouble processing sports lately. Can't tell. Like what else? Just like that. I always felt like, oh, this guy's worth this. This guy will get this contract. And then they gave Watson 230 guaranteed. I'm like, all right, so what's Pat Mahomes worth now? Like $11 billion? <laughs> like, I don't, what, how do we put a value on anything? Then you have the Rams who are always able to just pay guys. It's like, yeah, we've agreed to sta- a Stafford extension. It's like, how are you Stafford extension? How are you paying Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey? I don't understand the NFL salary cap anymore. The Pats, they're like, you know, counting pennies. And it's like, we've signed Ty Montgomery. And it's like, well, we went all in last year. We don't have any money left. The Red Sox, who make more money than God, they don't get Carlos Correa, but then they give Trevor Story $140 million. Like, I've just, I've lost my calibration, Rosillo. Did you look at the story home road splits? I did. Hmm. A lot of strikeouts for him, too. Yeah, the Correa stuff, I always love the Boris deals because you'll be like, okay, so what is this? Boris somehow turned baseball contracts into football contracts where we see what it is, and then we go, oh, that's not really what it was. And Boris would be like, well, I need Correa's average to be higher than the other guys that signed, but since he didn't get the contract that he wanted for the market, it's really just a one-year deal. And you're like, okay. Yeah, but you so know why was... they did it that way, though. Maybe I'm too cynical. Because well, the, old, the old agent was tied to the contract. So it's like the one-year deal. The agent splits the commission with Boris because he was Correa's agent. Yeah. And right. then they blow up that contract. And then Boris gets the full commission on the new contract. Right, right. No, but I'm, I'm just saying like with Boris, whenever it was like the Bryce Harper thing, you would go, well, no, this wasn't about the... T- you needed the total number to be over this. So it was like, yeah, you can make it 13 years. You know, it's like whenever I'll yeah. look at his deals, it'll be announced as something and you go, okay, but the, what was the motivation here? Like getting the best deal or having it be the new latest headline. Um, I think the marketplace though, on the trades and all that kind of stuff that you're talking about, it is, it is weird. Like I think the Evan Fournier thing is a perfect example. Fournier, you couldn't get a first for him in a trade. Like, yeah, I'm not I'm not telling you he's awesome, but he can fucking score. He's a scorer for his entire career. Guy can score. And yet you can't get a first for him in the trade market. But then he can get 70 million in guaranteed money. And you're like, so a guy that can get that kind of contract can't even get you a first because his contract's up, I guess. I mean, would be the way because like the Kawhi deal to Toronto, like if that deal happened a year later then there's probably five picks attached to it or three the Ky- picks. The Kyrie deal is another example. It's basically the Boston one? Bunch of contracts what? and the eighth pick in the draft for Kyrie Irving, who was under contract for two more years. Yeah, now, right. Like five years later, there's four extra pick swaps in that trade. Yeah, that's what it is. Like the math on it has all changed. Where football, the quarterback, it always seems to be three first. And then there's always the crazy ones where you're like, all right, so this is a 31-year-old linebacker that needs a contract that's restructured, and we actually love this linebacker. And you're like, all right, he'll be a third, maybe. And you're like, well, awesome. That's way better. Like, I'll take that guy. And I think Belichick even tried to do that for a little while. I think there was a yeah. one short transaction in there at one point. But uh, The Pats are a good example. They... 2016 to 2019, they botched the draft about as badly as you can botch it for four years. And if they just traded a bunch of picks like the Rams did, probably would have been better off. And the Rams look at it and they're like, ah, fuck it. We don't have to worry about the top 30. We can 
maybe they're looking at like we can scout the guys ranked 55 to 150 better because we don't have to worry about the top 25 guys. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand any of it. Everybody's thinking outside the box and doing all these weird contracts, deals, changing how we think about draft picks. I'm just trying to keep up. Remember the old days when it was like, yeah, if you get De- Devontae Adams, that costs two first round picks. He's the second best receiver in the league. Jamal Adams went for two picks. That trade Go, looks disastrous. Like you just can't trade. I would didn't you always think like Solak said this to me on uh on Thursday's pod? Like the going rate for getting one of the best guys at his position was always two first round picks. At least. But you couldn't just get somebody for one, but now you get it. All right. This is I want to end on this. Okay. We did this last year too. I want to know what your list is. You didn't know I was going to ask you this. You're down one. There's 12 seconds left. Your hierarchy of guys you trust the most. You need a basket. You're down one. You're on the road. Ooh, road. I need need a basket. I think Durant has to be the clear number one. I don't even think it's a question. But do you have somebody different? No. No, it's Durant. I mean, what, what possible argument could be made? There's no it. argument to be made. Who is second? Now we're arguing. Tw- down, down one, 12 seconds left. On the road. <laughs> love that you're adding, you're adding the drama here. On the road. Uh... You know, LeBron's still a very good option. I had him. I had him in lurking. The one thing with LeBron is he does settle for that 29-foot step back. Too much for my liking. Right. So what happens is you get tired. If it's just like, hey, LeBron's going to go to the basket, he's my second choice. If it's LeBron's going to, he's feeling that 29-footer, I don't like it as much. I actually had DeRozan second right now. Wow. Yeah. I just feel like whatever zone he's in, I just always feel like he's going to score. Where's Chris Paul on this? Well, I had uh, I had Jokic third because he can either get me a shot or he'll find an open shooter, but I'm getting a good shot with Jokic. You are. Right? I had LeBron fourth. Gulp. I had Kyrie fifth. That's fine. It's probably too low, but that's all right. Too low or too, like he should it's be probably- higher? It's probably too low, but the difference is Durant has the superpower where it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, he got rushed on that shot he hit against the Mavs. He admitted he got rushed, and so he adjusted for what... Because Dallas has been doing a really good job now of switching up what they're doing, and Durant laid it all out. He's like, they are switching the stuff they do, and I had to be, like, aware of what it was. And then you can see when you're thinking about it as an offensive player, you're like, I got to get into the shot earlier before the help comes up or I can guess wrong and go too soon. And Durant admissed, admitted that he was rushed. And here's the thing. He still looked like he made the game-winning three until Dinwiddie hits another one at the other end. Right. Who, by the way, Dinwiddie has been terrific. Um, you know, for a guy that wasn't a blast to play with in D.C. Yeah. And, and didn't make a lot of shots, uh, he's found a way to fit in here in a very short amount of time. So we'll see what happens. But I just... I don't even know how anybody can be over the Durant. I think the weird part, we haven't matched Steph, but I think people I have, have maybe, I had CP and Booker sixth as a combo. Because they kind of they kind of ride with whoever's feeling. So where's Giannis? 
I think then we go to Giannis and Steph like in the seven eight range. Yeah, because for Giannis, it's weird because you feel like you can be prepared for it because you know it's going to be just this overpowering now that he, thing. Yeah, now that he does that back down kind of spin thing that he that he kind of figured out in the playoffs last year, now he's doing it. I think he's moved up the ladder for me. Would you rather have Booker or Mitchell? 12 seconds. Booker. Okay. Booker. You know, and what's weird is Luca's not on my list, even though he's terrifying, because I think he settles too much for those 28-footers. I just don't like the shot. I know it looks great when it goes in and it gets cut and it goes on Twitter and it's like, Luca, step back, but it's a 30% shot. Tatum? Tatum's starting to at least like knock on the door of this club. When they post him up and then when they do the dirt play with him at the foul line, I feel like he gets a good shot every time from that now. Then he could spin and go with his, with his, you know, to his right, or he could do that little fall away thing. But I think he's starting to figure out the foul line in a real way. I'm not ready to put him in that club yet, but this stuff's, stuff's happening. And then Embiid would be the other one, but the Embiid end of the game stats are horrific. You seen those? Like his like last two minutes stats? I've watched it. Really yeah. bad. Yeah. So it's people be like, where's Embiid? It's like, well, go look at the stats. Yeah, that's all I got. I'm going to give, this is my last piece of this question though. Okay. Most most random guy who you have a seat for in this club because mine is Jordan Poole. I feel like Jordan Poole, <laughs> down one, if you're just like trapping Steph, I'm totally fine with Jordan Poole deciding the game for me. I, I don't know never, why. I completely right. trust him. <laughs> <laughs> that is ridiculous. I love it. Look, Jordan Poole's stock is rising. Him, Sohan. Sohan's family's going to buy a retirement home somewhere after this podcast. Uh, you know what? I'm going to, I'll throw one dumb one out there. Yeah. Um, I have one dumb one too for you. Well, you know what? It isn't dumb. I just would, I never would have thought I would have said this, but Levine, Levine needs to be mentioned because mm. Levine, Physically like can get himself into a situation where it's going to be hard to challenge what he's doing because he's just so gifted physically. Do you want to uh, award an irrational confidence guy for this list who doesn't necessarily belong but is furious that we didn't include him? Because I'm John gonna Lucas. I'm going to nominate Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony's a good one. Cole Anthony's like, finally, I'm trading baskets with Luca. This is what America wants. <laughs> like, <laughs> or, or finally, it's me versus LeBron. I knew it was going to end this way. Time Dude, for the duel. Levine's at like almost 40% on eight threes, seven, eight threes a game last two years. Jesus. He's 42 last year. He's 40 this year. He's 51 and 48 overall on, on 19 and 18 shots this year. So he's like a shot and half left. And, you know, Levine, it wasn't, wasn't ever what he was capable of. It was just that his decision-making was so bad. But are we know. positive he's going back to Chicago next year? We are, right? Yeah, his thing is different. It was a little weird, right? On the way that his extension worked with him. But uh, I, I don't I, know. I don't know. I just uh, I never trust anything anymore. No, I look, I, I hashtag this league. What if Harden were like, you know what? It didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, didn't really like my time here. But where would he go? Oh, I don't know. Nobody has cap space. It's like Orlando and San Antonio. Oklahoma City, run it back. Never should or, have left. Orlando would be the funniest for the Tex. Oh, yeah. OKC would be good. Hmm. All right. Prediction for the tournament? 
Ooh, Arizona pulled that one out. That could be, that could be the kind of thing. I don't know. I don't. I don't really have much. I, I kind of thought Gonzaga was going to win. What, t- what team do you like the most? I really like watching the Zags play. I just do. But Me this, too. Ar- this Arizona team, man, this was you know trying to pay attention to it. While well, I'm going to watch it now after we're done taping, they they've got some stones. So uh, I was I was fired to see them hold off and and, and win that game. Any F one lessons from the the race today? Well, yeah, a couple. You know, not a great day for Red Bull. We'll go from thinking you're going to maybe finish second and fourth and, and build towards the Constructors' Championship, and then you lose both cars in the last five laps. Haas is a factor, which I did not expect. Mm. Uh, it's nice to see the Scudieri of Ferrari uh, finish the way they did, and then Hamilton and, and Williams. And here's Williams in a Mercedes now. Excuse me, not Williams. Russell, George Russell in the Mercedes, leaving Williams. By the way, the cars. This is my second season ever. They made bigger tires. They have different rims. There's a better camera angle. There seems to be some sort of flange thing going on. I'm excited about all of it. I don't know what most of it means. I really enjoyed it this morning. Did you get up it, and have a little routine? You liked it, oh, huh? it's like it was. I was up already. It was like 8 o'clock. It was great. Popped it on. Um, you know, it's not too long. It's not too long. You can kind of no, do other stuff as it's on. You, you can do that you, you too. You can kind of yeah. look down and and the when the announcer starts to get excited, and then you really watch the last ten laps. But yeah, it was it was fun. I really had a good time. I can't believe this. Look at who are we? Look at you. I know. Look I know. Us. It's that Netf- fucking Netflix show, man. It really they really knew how to do it. I my thing is like Mallory already picked like I forget who she had, but she already she has somebody, and I know you have people you like. I just. I need somebody. I need somebody to really gravitate to. That is my is my kind of crew, and I haven't really figured out who that should be. Yeah, so I'm, I don't know. I'm almost yeah. like I'm just kind of I'm watching this stuff, and I'm just seeing where my heart takes me, and nothing's really pulled me anywhere yet. I have always enjoyed Ferrari, though, but I know that's like rooting for the Yankees. It isn't though, because they haven't been good the last. I know, few but years. it's Ferrari though. You know, it's I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that's that's. I think so can I, for, so can I do Ferrari? Because I'm half Italian. I think you can do Ferrari. Honestly, Mercedes would be the Yankees. Well, I would never do Mercedes. BMW guy. Where, where's <laughs> BMW, by the way? How are they not an F1? What the fuck are they doing? This is over my pay grade. I have no idea. None. So you are... I don't know. I still haven't really figured it out because I kind of like McLaren and then Ricardo went on part of my take twice and then said that they'd get them to us in six months and we complained and then they unfollowed me. So right now my relationship with McLaren isn't that great. And then they stunk this weekend. So um, I'm not ruling it out. You know, adults can can work through things, but it was just seemed very weird that McLaren would then unfollow me because I was annoyed that we had put in for Ricardo and they were like, no, he's not doing anything. And I get that he went on PMP. You know what? On, I'm out. On, I'm out on McLaren too. Fuck those he, guys. He went on a second time after they were like, you know, when you put in an interview request and they'll say, yeah, maybe in six months. <laughs> it's just such a fuck off. And so it was a little frustrating. But then McLaren did send me stuff. So then I felt bad. So I don't know. Nah, McLaren, I'm out. All right. So say no more. Williams, no. Haas was always kind of a joke because they were so bad. But basically, they were gearing up their entire 21 season for 22. So they're just getting smoked. They're finishing last like every single race, both cars. And their team principal sort of this goofy guy. But then when I didn't even realize, they had like Russian oligarch money. And mm. it was like one of the kids, the Kimatsapan was the kid. 
you know, so there's some nepotism going on there too. So once I learned about that, I was like, all right, I, but now I guess Haas is free and clear all that stuff. Again, Kevin knows his stuff better than I do. Kevin Clark. Um, I kind of like Verstappen cause he's such a freak. So, but then I'm like, am I just going to root for Red Bull? So I don't know, man. I started, I started thinking about Ferrari this weekend as well. I haven't really picked anybody yet though. Maybe I'll just enjoy the race. Maybe just, maybe I'm just there for the love of competition. I don't know, Bill. Well, mess. you're part, you're partly Italian, right? Yeah. Well, I feel like that's our end with Ferrari. Right? Who does Saruti root for? Saruti, who do you root for? He's like the most Italian guy going, but he's, I don't think he's that into F1. He had the El Clasico today, so he was busy. A lot of soccer today, but no, I, I kicked around Verstappen. I was going to root for, uh, what was it? Was it Haas? But then they folded, right? No, they didn't fold. They were awesome today who, after who a terrible the, year. What was the American team? Haas. Oh, then it is. I thought they folded for some reason. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm a Haas guy. You seem pretty locked in. So I'm yeah, definitely locked in. Yes, my squad. It seems like everybody goes on a couple dates with Verstappen and then it doesn't take. Like that. there's a moment. I had it watching the Netflix show where I was like 33. That's my number. Got a root for him. And then I was like, ah, I can't get there. Apparently yeah. BMW stopped because it was too expensive, by the way. See, that's why they're the best. They don't, they don't need to waste money on F1 to prove that they're the best. Yeah, yeah. Haas is Gene Haas, who was born in Youngstown, Ohio. And if you know anything about Youngstown, you know the best people come from Youngstown. So, yeah. Can we do a life advice about Ra uh, uh, Kyle quickly? Yes. Yes. Is he Kyle's, Kyle's 19-year-old brother, my nephew, was in town. And, uh, Kyle, who has this weird sense of, um, I don't know, like the, doing the right thing, didn't want to bring his brother into his bar where he could have probably gotten him drinks because he felt like a sense of duty to his favorite bar. He didn't want to do that to the bar, have the underage guy, even though they probably would have looked the other way and done the whole thing. But Kyle, it's made a principle, took him to other bars. Kyle, look at you. What was that about? You just didn't want to do that to the frolic room? You know, the biggest problem was I had told him a couple of weeks ago that he was coming and that he was 19. And then it would have just been weird coming in with a 19-year-old like, hey, remember that guy that's totally underage that I told you about a couple of weeks ago? Here he is. So didn't want, to, didn't want to put anyone in a position. So the mistake was saying that he wasn't 21 ahead of time planning the basically lying to the frolic room but that again kyle made a principal yeah that's um did you have a good time with your brother like what did he think of hollywood was he freaking out i think his words were shit show it's a lot we walked past the frolic room and he just poked his head and he was like that's where you fucking hang out and uh i was like yeah no, it's, it's better in the daytime we just kept it moving he didn't love he didn't love the looks of it it's right there, right? Isn't it like right next to Ripley's or something? Like right on Hollywood Boulevard? Pantages. Hamilton, yeah. like five times a week there. I just started reading Hamilton. You want to talk about a tough childhood? Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right, we'll leave on that note. <laughs> uh, Russell, you're doing two podcasts on your feed this week. I'm thinking will... about doing a Hamilton recap once a week. As oh, I that'd read, be good. I'm reading Chernow's book, and I was like, maybe I could just do a chapter summary for 10 minutes once a week. Might. Or we could do it here. I doubt you'll want to do it because it'll be long-winded. You'll get annoyed I, with me. I wanted to talk to you about Deep Water, but you didn't even watch it. Next week, maybe? 
I I think we should do a little the we we crashed. I saw all three episodes. Okay, how is it? I'm gonna I'm gonna get one in tonight. Um, so Jared Leto really loves these characters where he can do an <laughs> accent, but in this case, the accent's really good. I th- I actually thought he was great. I thought it was really well done, and then I realized my guys who did Focus. I'm the only person who likes the movie Focus. Well, there's a bunch of us out there, but the guys who did Focus do this We Crash show, and it's got like a nice vibe to it. It's really well Wait, done, is good focus, music. Is that the Will Smith, Margot oh, yeah. Robbie thing? No one yeah. likes that movie, and you love I, it, don't you? Me and Wesley Morris, we did a rewatchables. I like it. I'll defend <laughs> it to the death. But these guys, it's just like really well done. You know? I, I can't and, wait. I'm going to check it out tonight. I'm going to check yeah, it out tonight. That's yeah. good. All right, Rosello, good to see you. Thanks, man. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Rosillo as always. Thanks to producer Kyle Creighton. Thanks to Dylan Burke and Steve Cerruti. And we will see you on this feed on Tuesday. New rewatchables coming on Monday night, as usual, midnight. Shooter, 15th anniversary. Misha Serrano, Chris Ryan. A ridiculous movie, a ridiculously entertaining movie. So we're breaking that down Monday night. See you on that feed on Monday night. See you on this feed on Tuesday. <laughs> 